1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The NFL season, it's in full swing. Heck, it's almost over. And you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at BetOnline. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always that online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining the pod today. I have a very special guest today. I'm very grateful to have him on. I'm excited to talk to him. His name is David Hall. He hosts the Mullion Hall Show on WSCR 670 from 5 to 9 a.m. every morning. I've been reading his stuff for years. I've been hearing his perspectives and I'm just dying to talk to him today. David, how are you today? Thank you for joining.
0: I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me. This is gonna be a lot of fun.
1: Absolutely. So, I know we want to get into a lot of sports and I know we got to get out of here because we got Wednesday afternoon football today, (laughs) uh, which is extremely strange, but I do want to kind of walk back and I would love to hear, and I think some of our fans listening to the pod would love to hear a little bit of your story, you know, collegiate safety at Ball State University. I kind of want to hear about, take us back to that time in your life and maybe around that moment when you kind of decided to make that pivot to go into journalism.
0: You know, I was really fortunate and I was in a position where I I grew up in a really small town in Northwest Indiana, North Judson, and there was only about 1,200 people, 1,500 people tops uh, in 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 the small town in the county, in Stark County. And my graduating class was 99. So that's relevant because we were a small school powerhouse and we had uh, we were blessed to have you know some real good athletes at a small school and we had a great football program we were one of those prototypical Friday night lights you know experiences where every Friday night that was where the town gathered and, and we had a great football coach by the name of Russ Radke and you, you wanted to play for this guy from the time you were you know in sixth grade so I had a lot of success in high school and we got a lot of attention we had 11 straight shutouts my senior year and And that was important because you needed to do something to get attention from from college scouts and recruiters. So I was recruited because we we ran up some big numbers and I was a wide receiver and a defensive back. And um, Ball State uh, was a a Mid-American Conference program at the time. Had a relatively new coach, Paul Shudell, who was a Bo Beckler assistant. And I had some offers to play at some bigger programs uh, but I, I looked at Ball State as a chance to number one, um, get an opportunity to play right away, and, and number two, it, was, it had a great journalism program. So I went to Ball State. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to to start uh, for for four seasons or parts of four seasons. I came in late as a freshman, or started late in the season my freshman year, and um, really by the end of my career was you know I majored in football at Ball State, and and I'm proud of that because I got a good education. But the real you know, growth came just by the experiences I had as a college football player. And I, you know, look, every everybody who has a little bit of success at, at these mid major programs has a dream of playing in the NFL. And and I had a really good senior year at seven interceptions. It was an all Mid American conference. And and in the back of my mind I had I was thinking, well, I could get into a NFL camp and I can, you know, try to hang on at the end of the roster or be one of those guys. And then we played the California Raisin Bowl. Uh, as a champions of the Mid-American Conference. And uh, I, we were playing and we were in too deep coverage. And the guy uh, on the opposite hash, uh, the receiver caught the ball and I chased him, uh, tried to get off the hash. And, and for the last 20 yards, I chased him into the end zone. And I think that was my moment that I realized journalism made a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> because I was one of those overachievers. I, I, I did not have the speed. Um, I got the most out of my ability. I was very happy and satisfied and proud of what I was able to do as a college football player, but I also loved to write, and that was a better path for me to take. Um, it was difficult in its own way, but I went to grad school at Northwestern, and after that, I started my journalism career.
1: It's uh, Well, you said seven picks, which means were you more of a ball hawk, or were you a guy that would <laughs> stick your nose in the box a little bit?
0: Well, I think back in those days, you had to be a little bit of both. I was a free safety Um, so I, I, uh, I was probably a guy that, um, you know, would be described because of my four, six speed, um, as cerebral, right. Because you'd have to hit and you have to be at the right place at the right time. Um, and, and, and that year we had a really good defense. So I was the beneficiary of a really good pass rush. That's why as, as a, You know, as somebody who analyzes football for a living now, um, I've always had the respect for the pass rush because I know that every defensive back is only as good as the people who are are putting pressure on the quarterback.
1: It creates a chain reaction. And I I might be ahead of my skis here, but I think you made the right decision. I mean, everyone's dream is to walk out to the middle of the field and have the California Raisin come out and give you the trophy. Um, but you went on, you went to Medill at Northwestern, became an excellent journalist. And that's where I became a fan. I lived in Chicago until 2010. And then even after that, I was a staunch follower of the Chicago Tribune. I do want to ask you, you know, you took on the mantle of the in the wake of the news lead columnist for the Chicago Tribune for, for several years. Um, In my opinion, a very prestigious role because, you know, as a Bears fan, when you look at that front page, guess what? You already watched the game. So after that lead sentence, Everything else is, you know, the stats and everything in that, in that middle column is kind of, okay, been there, saw that. But I always look to that left side, and there you were, providing your perspective or perhaps the pulse of what Chicago sports fans were thinking at that time. I just want to hear about how you went about that, how your process was. You know, did you have any philosophical you know, goals going into it where, hey, I want to represent Bears fans, or I want to represent my objective analysis. You know, what was your process during that time?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, that was my dream job, and when I was a teenager growing up, I would get the Chicago Tribune in in our small town, and and that was the job that I want wanted, and and, and then this job that I that I ended up getting and and having for you know about a decade, and and I always considered it a privilege. And when I left and uh, went to radio full time it was it was difficult for me to to cross that bridge because it was a conscious decision to do that because of some realities in the newspaper industry but I, i'll never you know i 'll never have a job that I value any more than that one um, and you know when i when I took over when I came to The Tribune to cover the Bears, it was as a beat writer and then I went into doing features and then columns. And then in 2009, you know, it became the, the, in the wake of the news columnist. And, you know, I think the same approach was uh, what I took to, to that as a B-writer. I always felt like because you were a columnist and because you had this sort of weighty responsibility um, and, and the, the, the job itself was, I always considered it the best one in, in Chicago sports media. You didn't approach it any differently. I always wanted to be a reporter first. Um, I always felt like the the least important uh, word in any column that I wrote was the word I. You know, I it didn't want to make it about me, even though it, the column by definition is about the writer. I always felt like there were better stories to tell, and I wanted to mix it mix. You know, I, I loved writing five days a week. I, I, I loved the work. You know, I loved the travel. I loved what it exposed me to, and I loved the privilege that it was for me to, on one day, be covering, you know, a, a playoff game, and then the next day, um, be able to, to call, you know, somebody, you know, at, at Phillips High School uh, after, you know, and, and to tell the story of those kids growing up in that area and what they sacrificed to, to get to, you know, be at, at the top of uh, the high school football uh, mountain in Illinois. And I just think what I always wanted to do was was try to, you know, journalism is about telling stories and and I wanted to tell stories and then you mix in with it with opinions But the odd thing is, is that I had that job for as long as I did. And now I'm a sports talk radio host and, you know, and, and you go on television or you go on the radio and you're paid for your opinion, but I never got into this business wanting to share it. You know, I I never, I never really thought of myself as the loudest guy in the room or the guy that, you know, had to be heard. And you know what I think about this pitching move and boy, was that a bad call in fourth and one, those things just evolved from being, you know, a fan of sports. I got into sports journalism or sports media because, um, one, I love to write, but two, I just I just think that there's um, an inherent belief that everybody's got a story to tell, and and that could be you know based a lot of my, my my background. You know, I'm from a small town, so I think that the, you know you respect people's paths that they take or their the trips, their journeys are sometimes more important than the destination. I know that, that sounds a little bit maybe more than you asked for, but I think everybody's, you know, view and perspective of what they do kind of shapes about how they do it, and and what you're getting from, you know, my my sports opinions or or somebody's point of view. There, it's all rooted in their perspective, and so mine is kind of uh, based on just that that background in, in sports journalism and, and respecting people's. Uh, Uh, that everyone has a story to tell.
1: No, and that's a wonderful answer. I I wanted to ask because, you know, whether we like it or not, it just seems like that the evolution of our communicational methods are evolving as we speak where, you know, the printed word, you know, you could still click on an article, but the printed word is now, you know, transitioning into more of a verbal communication. So, you know, you're still trying to tell those stories. And as you mentioned, too, when, when you come up with an opinion, you know, there's still that concept of, When Matt Nagy on 31 calls a toss to the weak side to Cordell Patterson, you're going to ask some questions. You know what I mean? It's a different method now of how trying to tell that story. Do you ever feel that sadness that the printed word, because, you know, I I've enjoyed the writing aspect too, as well in my career too. And now obviously we're communicating via zoom verbally, but there is a different way of constructing that type of communication, that type of opinion or perspective.
0: Without a doubt. You know, I, I I'm sad about the way that newspapers have gone, you know, and I, always thought you know casey johnson and i used to kid about being the last ones to leave the tribune kicking and, and screaming and then <laughs> you know we we but you know we we made the decisions consciously and and to, to try to stay a step ahead of that and, and it's tough because you grow up uh, reading the newspapers and that's a uh, something that you know my own son is like what's that dad you why do you still read the newspaper on sunday mornings and and it's just something that uh is a sign of the times uh but you know you, you know you raise a good point about you know the, the opinions are, are very natural right I mean the, everyone's going to have one if you know sports and if you're a sports fan I think the one thing you just try to do is is if you you know kind of you look at it from a writer's point of view is that you, you just try to be fair you know you try to be fair and to get or provide
1: context you know what I mean context in the moment and perhaps try and you know move it forward through yeah there.
0: context in the, in the moment that's a good way to put it and everything has context and sometimes you know, things are taken out of context, so you just try to try to fill in the fill in the blanks.
1: David, we're having a nice time, so let's talk about the Chicago Bears, shall we? <laughs> um, <laughs> I do want to ask you a question because um, I, I've got a chance, and anyone that gets an opportunity, Mully and Ha, just a fantastic show, get a chance to listen to it as often as I can, so I boned up, I listened to the last couple episodes leading up to this interview. You had Dave Wansted on your show the other day, and I want to get your take on this because Matt Nagy came out with a press conference the day after the, you know, 41 to 25 debacle against the Packers in week 12. You know, in Matt Nagy's fashion seemed to kind of try and fire up his team. They've lost five in a row, doing the best that they can. Some people thought that he was calling out his players. I think more he's just maybe a leader trying to call out the rest of his team and challenge each and every single person in that room to be better. But Dave Wanstead intimated that he said that the way that he did because ownership has already come to him and perhaps told him that he's going to be around for next season. When you heard that from, from former coach, did that take you aback a little bit and what's your perspective on, you know, where Matt Nagy's headspace is in terms of that press conference heading into this week against the lions?
0: Well, I always respect what Dave has to say, you know, he's been in that chair both in two really strong uh, football environments in Miami and Chicago and two proud franchises. So, you know, what he says, he doesn't say lightly. He takes that that role uh, with a lot of responsibility and takes it seriously. Um, I didn't agree with him. And, and, you know, we don't always agree on everything, but it it was an interesting perspective. And you have to consider all things when when we don't have access to as much as we don't have access to these days. I I looked at it the other way. I, I looked at it almost as a Uh, a sign of desperation, I don't know if somebody got to Matt and, and, you know, suggested that he reinforce the idea that the the team has, you know, a proud franchise that they're representing each and every Sunday. Um, I just think it was like, well, you know, we have been on Matt Nagy for a long time in Chicago to be a better head coach. And, you know, know, he, he divided his duties, you know, last couple games, he's let somebody else call the plays so he could focus on being a better head coach. And I think this is all part of that process. You know, however it seemed, whether it was contrived and whether it seemed like he was reading from a script or speaking from the heart, I think that's a good debate. You know, it sounded a little bit maybe like it was, you know, somebody else's idea and then he was executing it. But I, I give him credit for trying. You know, you, you've you got to try something. And if he's acting like a guy who, who – Is trying to save his job. He is. His job is in jeopardy. You know, I think that there's a desperate element to these last five weeks of the NFL season for the Bears. So if Matt Nagy wants to call out his players for, and his defense specifically, which he took some heat for, for for not being good against the Packers, you know what? They weren't good against the Packers. So I think he's doing what everybody else has done. And that's, you know, grasping the obvious. The Bears stunk. The coach is mad and he expressed himself in a way that he doesn't typically express himself, but I think that's within his right in the context of that rant is that, you know, they've lost five in a row. And it had been, you know, at the time that he spoke, 43 days, I think, since the last victory. If the fr- if the frustration is mounting, that means he's paying attention, and I totally got it.
1: And as a head coach, maybe you do feel like you have to change the tenor to perhaps get the attention of some of the players that are on there. And I- I'm right there with you where – If he loses to the Lions this week, I don't think that they would do it, but you really would have to ask yourself the question of whether he would be able to coach that very next week and whether Chuck Pagano would take over against the Texans because it just reminds me of Joe Madden, who I love to pieces, brought us a World Series. But when he lost nine games in a row in September, at some point you just got to say to yourself, you know, that's just a little, that's too much. And if you lose six, seven games in the NFL, you got to sort of ask yourself, well, just when do you pull the plug on that? So maybe he's, Trying to make that move now, but my question for you then is, what buttons does Matt Nagy have left to push?
0: Well, I think you know, number one, the schedule is on his side, and I, and I would agree with you. If you lose to the Lions, then you know every every week in the NFL season is a season unto itself. So let's talk on Monday if if he loses to the Lions and kind of reevaluate what the context is. But it, the buttons he has left to push are that he can do the job better of of structuring an offensive game plan that is more compatible with the roster he has. And by that, I mean, you know, the, the biggest knock, I think the fairest criticism of Matt Nagy in his three seasons in Chicago is that he never has successfully grasped the idea or executed the idea of of playing complementary football. You have a defense that is, you know, they weren't, they weren't good against the Packers. I'm not saying that, but I think everyone can agree this defense is consistently been a pretty much a top 10 unit you've got special teams that have been pretty good you have an offense that is not tailored or structured to complement those other two phases of the game they should be running the ball more they should have an offensive line that's built to grind it out more on the ground and if you had more of an eat the clock possess the ball type of approach offensively I think you overall wouldn't be sitting here in this predicament having lost five in a row and be staring at your, your coaching mortality. So that's my biggest criticism of Matt Nagy and his staff in this regime. And in the final five games, you can still fix that. You can still accomplish that and you can still save the season. If you were able to somehow execute better Offensively, in a way that reflects what you have on your roster and the kind of team that you've put together.
1: And what's difficult is it feels like Matt Nagy struggles maintaining momentum within a game, let alone multiple weeks at a time. And that that for me is just that's very disconcerting. As we're now three years into his head coaching tenure,
0: I think that's a good observation. I think that's a fair criticism. You know, discipline is it takes a lot to you know. I think sometimes it seems as if the offense or the play caller, or maybe it is just all Matt, you know, you fall in love with your own ideas or you're tempted to try to get a little too cute. You know, when it's, you know, when, when the bears uh, had success with David Montgomery so early on the first drive uh, against the Packers and then the second series, all of a sudden you see Cordero Patterson in the backfield. You're like, what are you doing? You know, your, my first reaction is, you stick with what's working it may not be fancy and it may not get to chapter 3 of the playbook but there's nothing wrong with good old fashioned repetition when you're talking about something that works if it's not working then fine figure out different ways to 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 fix it but you don't have to macgyver up the offense if it doesn't need to be you know creatively fixed and i i just think sometimes the bears struggle with that they don't take the gimme and they try to get a little too cute and that is all start that all starts with with the play caller or the head coach and, and you know for too long it's been the same guy. And and I think if there's if there's a valid criticism, yeah, that's a good observation. They they have lacked discipline on offense and, and in terms of doing what they need to do, they've tried to maybe make it more difficult than it is.
1: Got a little bit more time left here with David Haw. I do want to ask you. Um, A couple more questions. I want to get to the Bulls in just a second. One more Bears question for you. I don't really want to present this question to you as, do you think Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy should be fired and all that stuff? Because I think that conversation is going to be had for a very long time. But maybe I could present it to you like this. And maybe this could be the writing on the wall that would answer the question anyways. If Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, let's say they are able to maintain their job into the offseason. Do you think people that work in the NFL, because you've interviewed so many different people throughout the years within the Bears organization, can people that hold those types of positions change philosophies or at least have the you know, the hubris to know when we need to change philosophically? And my question basically is, at the quarterback position, it feels like that the Bears organization for decades has always gone with this mentality of, now with Jay Cutler, they thought that they could win because of him. It turned out after a couple of years, they found out they can only win with him. That's okay. We're going to try and do that. They signed him to a long-term contract. Mitch Trubisky, same thing. Drafted a guy, win because of him. Found out right away, very quickly, this is a guy that we can only win with him. Nick Foles was clearly a win with him type move. Can they, are they able to adapt their own philosophies and try and find a quarterback that the team wins because of, not necessarily a quarterback that the team wins with?
0: It's a really interesting question, Um, and that's that's a really interesting observation. I I think that the way that they went about it with Cutler, and and frankly, the way they went about it with Trubisky, I I guess I would counter by saying that they thought they were getting that guy at the time that they got him. You know, the the, the Jake Cutler trade was a huge Swing for the fences. And I, I
1: danced at work. I was on the clock, and I was literally <laughs> and
0: jumping up and down with
1: buddies. Well,
0: <laughs> get you, back to you work. And the rest, you and the rest of Chicago, April second, you know, two thousand and nine. I remember right. it well. Um, and, and you know, it, it was one of those things that that was a, such an unorthodox move because the Bears had never been that bold before. I think they were getting that. They thought they were getting that guy. It wasn't that guy for a lot of reasons that takes a lot longer than we have to, to discuss when when Brian Pace traded up to get Mitch Trubisky in the number 2 pick in the draft i wrote in the tribune that night that, that that i can remember sitting there stunned at the keyboard but this was a guy that was going after the quarterback he wanted with conviction and frankly you know that was the thought then that mitch was going to be the guy you won because of so i don't know if it's because they have lacked or they have had too much, you know. Uh, they haven't lacked the 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 gumption to go and get the person that they think is the right quarterback. It's that they have been they've chosen the wrong quarterback. You know, Jay had a lot of things go wrong. Mitch was, you know, over for for a lot of reasons. Um, I don't think you can stop trying, no. I though. Don't, I don't think you can let. Here's here's where I would I would counter your 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 question, or at least answer it this way. You can't let what ha- what has happened in the past affect or dictate the way you handle the future. And that may sound stupid uh, uh, on its merit, uh, on the surface, but I just don't think you can be shy and think that, okay, if you're picking 12th in the draft and or 13th in the draft and there's a quarterback, say, hypothetically speaking, and this is just a hypothetical say Zach Wilson is a BYU kid who's on the board and you're, you evaluate him. And it's a little, he's the number one guy on your board. But you 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 think to yourself, well, it hasn't gone so well in the past with Mitch, with Jay, with whoever. Eh, I don't I don't think you can look at it that way. You've got to look at it in the moment, for that for that season, for for what what's ahead, and and pick the person that you think is you're going to be right this time. Now a lot of people have gotten fired that way, and and a potential will get you fired. But I think that you have to be you still have to have that sort of confidence in your evaluation skills to, to not be shy about going out and trying to find the next franchise quarterback, because really you've never had one. So you got to keep trying until you find one.
1: And as you continue to try and make that process, hopefully the next step is you have that confidence to select that quarterback. And then you also need to have that confidence in your honesty of your evaluation, because clearly as we're all finding out right now, it seemed like Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy had one foot out the door with Mitch Trubisky heading into this season but they didn't want to bail on him because it perhaps would look bad on their resume and i it just sort of feels like that's the same sort of story with jay we kind of learned along the way that he wasn't a win because of guy he was a win with guy and we just couldn't the organization couldn't bring themselves to maybe admit that mistake and, and i can understand it's the pressure probably of professional sports
0: it definitely has to do with pressure. A lot of the fact, a lot of other factors get uh, get worked into the equation that really have nothing to do with anything. But it's a lot. A lot of it's you know job preservation. the the, the problem with, with Mitch is you know the fact that they believed that what they had seen um, in the in the previous three seasons they were, were going to just disappear in season four. That wasn't the case. You know, it's not all his fault, not all his doing, but he wasn't the guy that they thought he could be. Uh, well, that, the, what that means then I think is that probably, you know, again, we're sitting here and there's five games to go. Nobody's making any determinations about the future, but I would be surprised I think at this stage of the game after picking unsuccessful quarterbacks or unsuccessfully picking quarterbacks going back to 2015, I'd be surprised if Ryan Pace is given another chance to pick the next one for the bears.
1: And in these final, Five games we're going to find out a lot, too, about Matt Nagy, Mitch Trubisky, and this team moving forward in the future. David, I really appreciate your time. I do want to ask you um, about Joakim Noah real quick. He was waived by the Los Angeles Clippers last night. A lot of reports are saying that he's probably trending towards retirement. I would just love to hear your thoughts on, honestly, one of my favorite Bulls of all time, especially in the least the last 20 years and what has been a very kind of frustrating Chicago Bulls fandom over this time. I just want to hear your thoughts about, You know, how you felt about watching Joakim Noah at the United Center?
0: Yeah, I don't know if any bull in the post-Jordan era represented the city or the franchise any better than Joakim Noah did. This was somebody who brought it every night. I remember him talking about playing for the people in the 300 level as much as they're playing for the people who are sitting courtside. That is who he was. He was the guy that would get in LeBron's face, whether he was with the Cavaliers or the Heat. He made those rivalries come alive. He gave the Bulls everything he had. You know, a guy who who was a defensive player of the year, was all NBA, at the height of his career with the Bulls. And even when he was injured or in decline, you always got his best effort. He had his teammates back, whether it was, you know, protecting the rim in the paint or protecting their reputations in the locker room. This was the consummate Chicago Bull. As good as they come, a great draft pick by John Paxson back when they, they chose him. Uh, and and he was somebody you wish well. And I would be, um, wouldn't be shocked if he's part of the organization in some capacity or at least represents them somehow because it was special, uh, his relationship with the, with the Bulls. And I think he recognized that. And it's even more uh, – says more about him, the person, that his, his relationship with the city of Chicago and the community. Um, was as good as what it was and, and how committed he remains to those endeavors. And so you wish nothing but the best for Joakim Noah.
1: Yeah, I'm rooting for him to hopefully get that ceremonial, what, 10-day contract to perhaps sign with the Bulls and just retire as a Bull. And, <laughs> and as you mentioned, the consummate Chicago athlete, right, where he is a guy that just got better from the time that he got into a Bulls uniform to when he left we saw incremental progress and I think as Chicago fans I think that's just what we really want to see more than anything else when Keem first got on the team you were like god can this guy even catch the ball in the post I mean he's a little gangly a little awkward he plays hard and then by the time he left he was the point guard at the top of the key leading the team in assists it was truly an incredible transformation over those what seven years
0: yeah and as a rookie you thought boy this guy talks a lot he talks <laughs> too much and, and then well, he by got the end you're like yeah, like, uh, yeah he talked out of turn, but then he became the leader that, you know, the emotional core of that team. And and really for, for a team and and I guess a, an era that where they never won a championship, he was, you know, part of a very fun group, you know, that you look back at fondly with the Tom Thibodeau Bulls. And I know he played for more coaches, but you sort of associate him with, with Tibbs a little bit just because of what they were able to do during that little mini run. And it does make you wonder once again what might have happened if Derek Rose never would have gotten hurt. But yeah, Joakim Noah, uh, one of the more popular and e- easier to like uh, Bulls of of, uh, of recent past.
1: David, final question for you, and just treat this as a lightning round. You could just do a one-word answer if you want to. Okay. Just want to ask you a fun question. It's Christmas Eve, David. The presents are on the sleigh. They're ready to roll out of the North Pole, and Santa is drunk on Schnapps. He's passed out. Nothing you can do about it, Rudolph the reindeer. He's on strike right now, contract dispute. If you could pick one <laughs> Chicago sports coach to guide that sleigh to get all the presents out to the good little kitties out there, who would you be trusting at this moment right now?
0: Current, the, the current of current coaches. Current coaches. The, the, the five current coaches. That's I'm not. Really I'm not baiting. I'm not baiting you yeah, with the one I, guy.
1: But uh, no. you know what. I'm, <laughs>
0: Billy Donovan. I, I, I'm going Billy Donovan. Yeah. I, I, if it we were Tony LaRusso, I'm not sure we'd get there. Uh, no, he but brought the Billy schnapps would,
1: over. He brought okay, that over. <laughs> yeah.
0: He's <laughs> buying, right? <laughs> he's I, buying. I think, you know, Billy Donovan showed us at, at the virtual media day, just how impressive he can be. I mean, if this guy wanted to be, you know, sit alongside uh, and do color commentary, he, he'd be more than welcome to because he broke down the players on the roster. Like he's been watching them for years. He has purpose. He has passion. He has everything you want. So I know Billy Donovan would deliver, if you will, if he were the guy guiding us.
1: Yeah, we know it's not Matt Nagy. He would probably take some sort of diverted path and just get off schedule a little bit. Jerry McAulton, too young. You know, thank God. We're not talking about Jim Boylan here. I think Grandpa Rossi would probably be a close second, but I'm with you on the Billy
0: Donovan. Rossi would be fine but take us a little bit longer to get to where we wanted to go because he would stop and talk to everyone along the way anyway,
1: a lot of shaking hands yeah <laughs> every, a lot of every family hands that he met <laughs> hi
0: Absolutely. I'm Santa
1: you can call me Grandpa yeah. Rossi yeah <laughs> Mr. David Hall thank you so much I'm very grateful and very thankful you were able to come on to the show today this was Believe in Betting Chicago Mr. David Hall you could check him out on Twitter also WSCR670 the score go to radio.com if you're not in the Chicagoland area and download the app it's a great way to uh, stream all of their episodes from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. every single day. David, thank you so much for joining, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday, and maybe we can do it again sometime. Thanks for having me. This is Betting Chicago with Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Head to BetOnline.ag this weekend, or maybe this afternoon, because the Steelers and Ravens are going to play some Wednesday football. We'll be back soon with some more pods. Until then, be well, be safe, be good to each other, and we will talk soon.